I almost started talking and forgot to turn my microphone on. <laughs> In an Atlanta studio today, instead of the home studio that I'm I'm used to, I'm doing an event with Governor Kemp later today, and, and Mrs. Kemp, and I, I'm all discombobulated this morning. Welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number will take your phone calls today uh, as soon as the phone screener gets back from taking his kid to daycare. <laughs> Eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Very randomly, I realize you want me to get to the headlines, but very randomly, I've discovered the downside. I haven't. I haven't told you this yet today. Uh, I, I so I've got a black Yukon Denali. I uh, got from Jim Ellis in Atlanta, and I've discovered the downside of it being in Atlanta is everybody thinks I'm an Uber driver. I uh, pulled up to my hotel last night. I used valet, and the guy opened the back door of the, of, the, of the thing, and then I went to a Starbucks before I came into the studio today, and somebody headed to my car and asked if I was their driver. <laughs> Oh, yep. Security. Uh, OK, OK, OK. Uh, we we got to get into impeachment uh, because yesterday things did not go well yesterday for the Democrats. Uh, but before we get there, funny story. I have heard the story. I, I haven't talked about the story because I wasn't sure it was true. It almost sounded too good to be true. But I heard it from someone who worked for George W. Bush. And then Hillary Clinton was on the Howard Stern show yesterday. And she said the same story uh, that after the uh, at, at the Trump inauguration, you know, whether you say what you will about whether you agree with him in politics or not. George W. Bush is a, is a funny, very likable person. And uh, I, one of his former staffers told me this had happened and Hillary confirmed it that at the Trump inauguration after everything was over, you know, the Clintons were sitting behind the bushes. George W. Bush turned around to Bill and Hillary and said, well, that was some weird poop, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, a summation of the last few years in politics is that it's some weird poop. Um, yeah, just a funny story. Now, uh, Bernie Sanders has moved ahead of Elizabeth Warren among college students. Uh, he, as, as her campaign begins to flounder, his campaign uh, is surging yet again. And she is not very happy about uh, Mike Bloomberg getting into the race. She's not very happy with Bernie Sanders moving ahead of her. In fact, she went on TV last night and said that she could pay for all of her stuff and uh, give everybody health care, Medicare for all, without raising taxes on the middle class, which even Bernie Sanders has come out and said, no, you can't do that. It, it's mathematically impossible to do without um, driving the country off a cliff, which is kind of funny for Bernie Sanders. When Bernie Sanders tells you your fiscal policy is going to drive somebody off a cliff, uh, you should probably take notice. But Bernie Sanders uh, says that essentially the argument you got to make to the middle class is, yes, your taxes are going to go up a little bit, but your health care costs are going to go down so much that you're still going to save money. War Warren doesn't want to try to make that argument. She went on and she said, no, she can do this without raising taxes. I don't think that's the case. Well, now she's decided to, to set her sights on Mike Bloomberg, who the Democrats are really mad about. The reason the Democrats are mad about Mike Bloomberg getting into the race is because Bloomberg is now at 6% in the polls. I mean, remember, Kamala Harris dropped out the other day, and Kamala Harris is, fell less than 5% of the polls. Bloomberg comes in, and he's suddenly at 6% or so. Uh, there's this. But the fundamental question is, what do you think is broken in America? And for me, what's broken in America is we've got a country that is working great for those at the top, an economy that's working great for those at the top, and a democracy that is working great for those at the top. It's just not working for much of anyone else. 
And that's why I'm so concerned about Michael Bloomberg jumping into this race, dropping $37 million in one week on ad buys. I don't believe that elections ought to be for sale. And I don't think as a Democratic Party that we should say that the only way you're going to get elected, the only way you're going to be our nominee, is either if you are a billionaire or if you're sucking up to billionaires. Yeah, you know, listen, there is a class warfare rhetoric to be made on the Democratic side. I'm just not sure Elizabeth Warren is the one to make it. And more and more people are noticing it. But there, there's another side to the story here. Just, just consider the facts. College students who are progressive activists are looking at the polling and they've decided to hitch their wagon with the old guy in the race, not Donald Trump or Joe Biden, but Bernie Sanders. The 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 college kids who claim they want uh, diversity, they want a woman, that they, they want all, all this stuff. They're, they're going with the old white dude who's a commie. I mean, he actually is a communist. Uh, there's some some audio that has circulated. In fact, a buddy of mine sent this to me. Uh, this morning. Uh, in fact, we can listen to this together because I haven't actually listened to this and it, it's from an interview. So I'm I'm there's there can't be any profanity here. This is from a, a TV interview. This is Bernie Sanders from the 1980s uh, talking about. I think you change that very uneven distribution. Well, I think you can change it politically. I think you change it through tax tax laws. I think you change it through public ownership of significant parts of the economy. How can you practically change that very uneven distribution? Well, I think you can change it politically. I think you change it through tax tax laws. I think you change it through public ownership of significant parts of the economy. Public ownership of significant parts of the economy. Bernie Sanders, that's what these radical kids on campuses want. They they want to bring on, on full communism, it seems like. They, they want to bring on state ownership of these things. It's not going so well in places like, uh, you don't even have to go to Venezuela. Just go to Mexico. It's it's not going well, and that's what they want. And so this this the most amazing thing here is that democratically oriented college students are going with Bernie Sanders because Elizabeth Warren is not willing to go hard left enough. Remember, Bernie Sanders a while back said that Elizabeth Warren was essentially a capitalist and uh, that he wasn't. And that's part of their that's what distinguishes them. That's a pretty profound statement that he would make about him versus Elizabeth Warren, but it's also a very interesting statement that uh, he would have to acknowledge it. Uh, he would have to acknowledge it, and she would have to acknowledge that she has defended, while she has problems with capitalism, she has defended the capitalist system and has said herself that she is a capitalist and Bernie Sanders is uh, very much a socialist. Now, she, let's just acknowledge, um, she is not nearly as as oriented towards capitalism as you are me. But at the same time, she is more of a capitalist than Bernie Sanders. And the hard left college students are rejecting that. They're they're going for Sanders. And so what we can deduce from this, other than we shouldn't pay attention to college kids, is that 
the Democratic students who will be participating in the primaries are going to go super hard left. So now let, let me let's let's step back for a minute, please. Let's go up to 50,000 feet and look, survey the landscape. You've got progressive students on college campuses going hard left for Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren, who is a more viable candidate, who adopts most of Bernie's policies but puts a veneer of the market working on top of them, uh, they are rejecting her. Elizabeth Warren is under fire this morning from progressive activists because she was asked a question last night. Would she be willing to support a sign into law a health care bill that did not give Medicare for all, but did give an option for for public health care that people could take if they wanted it. So in other words, would she sign into law a measure that allowed people government health care, but didn't force them into government health care? And Elizabeth Warren said she would sign it because it's a step in the right direction. And progressive activists are livid with Elizabeth Warren for being willing to say she would sign that law uh, as a half measure because they want all or nothing right now. These progressive activists are supporting Bernie Sanders, the communist, over Elizabeth Warren, the socialist. What happens when Joe Biden's their nominee? Because Joe Biden is in favor of free market health care system. I mean, Joe Biden wants a public option, mind you, but Joe Biden is willing to go with a free market insurance-based health care system. That's part of his plan is you get the option for public, uh, but no Medicare for all. And if you like your insurance plan, you get to keep your insurance plan. Now, we know that's probably going to change if he was elected. Uh, he would go full on, but that's what he's saying right now. Joe Biden is also saying he wants to get rid of some of the corporate tax cuts, but he wants to leave the middle class tax cuts. Joe Biden is also saying that we need a free market and we need a healthy free market. We just need a more moral free market, whatever that means. Are, are the radical socialist students who Democrats have pinned their hopes on for turning out in mass in 2020, are they going to turn out for a Joe Biden versus Donald Trump election if they don't get their radical socialist? Are, are they really? Because Joe Biden, you know, he's got a he's got a, a history. The Democrats say Donald Trump is a racist. Joe Biden compromised with the segregationists in the Senate on busing. Joe Biden stood with Clarence Thomas over Anita Hill. He didn't believe all women. Joe Biden has a history of of standing with rich white parents in Delaware over poor black parents. Joe Biden's got a, a mixed history on on race. Are these people going to be happy with him? But here's the problem. The predominant block of voters in the Democratic primary are going to be black women. And those black women are going to stand with Joe Biden. It's the rich, young, white kids who have the problem with Joe Biden. And the rich, young, white kids have inordinate influence on the Democratic Party right now. It's black voters who get taken for granted by the Democratic Party. Now, 
Uh, we need to shift gears here because something has just happened I need to tell you about uh, here in the last couple of minutes. Uh, this is breaking news this morning. Nancy Pelosi has just held a press conference, and she has asked the House Judiciary Committee to begin drafting articles of impeachment. Um, that's a pretty significant step forward for the Democrats. There are serious divisions within the Democratic Party. We are all being led to believe some of the more moderate members of the Democratic Party not happy with the effort this morning uh, by Nancy Pelosi, but uh, it looks like they're headed in that direction. They are going to proceed with drafting articles of impeachment. We need to discuss the implications of what Nancy Pelosi is doing, and I'm going to go on to commercial break and find the audio clips to be able to play you when we come back. And then at the bottom of the hour, Congressman Jody Heiss from here in Georgia is going to be joining us by phone from Washington, D.C. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to, to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another. With those words, our founders courageously began our Declaration of Independence from an oppressive monarch for, among other grievances, the king's refusal to follow rightfully passed laws. In the course of today's events, it becomes necessary for us to address, among other grievances, the president's failure to faithfully execute the law. When crafting the Constitution, the founders feared the return of a monarchy in America. And having just fought a war of independence, they specifically feared the prospect of a king president corrupted by foreign influence. Oh, boy. So Nancy Pelosi... Uh, says that we're going to have to draft articles of impeachment. She says the president's actions have seriously violated the Constitution. Our democracy is what is at stake. The president leaves us no choice but to act because he is trying to corrupt once again the election for his own benefit. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, Jody Heiss, uh, our Georgia congressman, going to be joining me here at the bottom of the hour to discuss this and the other news. It is a, a notable event here that she's doing this because Republicans have been increasingly of the mind that uh, Democrats were getting weary, uh, leery of doing impeachment. Uh, that they were going to, in some case, uh, walk it back. In fact, there is concern that the Democrats are overplaying their hand here. You've got some moderate Democrats who are concerned that they just need to deal with this at the ballot box. Uh, but we're going to have a situation here where it appears that they're now going to um, they're going to re reject the cautious moderate views of some of the members of the Democratic Party and instead go with impeachment at least drafting articles of impeachment but with confidence and humility with allegiance to our founders and a heart full of love for America today I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment. I commend our committee chairs and our members for their somber approach to actions which I wish the president had not made necessary. In signing the Declaration of Independence, our founders invoked a firm reliance on divine providence. Democrats, too, are prayerful, 
and we will proceed in a manner worthy of our oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Can I just ask a question just randomly? Um, Who do the Democrats pray to? These are the people who booed God uh, being included uh, within the Democratic Party platform. Um, Now, here's the here's the here's the weird thing is they had the hearing in the Judiciary Committee yesterday and they had a handful of academics it was just a handful of academics. That's all. That that those are the only people that they had, and suddenly they're gonna after hearing from three academics, uh, who were one of whom actually said that she can't walk in front of the Trump Hotel in D.C. She's got to cross the street. Um, all of them, with the exception of Jonathan Turley, who didn't vote for the president, um, all the the three Democratic witnesses have all been on the record since before the president was sworn into office saying he would need to be impeached. Uh, they, they've been out to this for a while. This is kind of weird. Here's Jonathan Turley from yesterday. Not on this schedule. The one thing, if you look at, I, I laid out the three impeachments. The one thing that comes out of those impeachments in terms of what bipartisan support occurred is that impeachments require a certain period of saturation and maturation. That is, the public has to catch up. I'm not prejudging what your record would show, but if you rush this impeachment, you're going to leave half the country behind. And certainly that's not what the president, what the framers wanted. You have to give the time to build a record. This isn't an impulse buy item. You're trying to remove a duly elected president of the United States. And that takes time. It takes work. But at the end, if you look at Nixon, which was the gold standard in this respect, the public did catch up. They originally did not support impeachment, but they changed their mind. You changed their mind. And so did, by the way, the courts, because you allowed these issues to be heard in the courts. Yes. Uh, and the Democrats are now rushing this. This is one of the things that they want to impeach the president for is the president telling people in the White House not to cooperate with the impeachment process. One more time. If you impeach a president, if you make a high crime and misdemeanor out of going to the courts, it is an abuse of power. It's your abuse of power. You're doing precisely what you're criticizing the president for doing. We have a third branch that deals with conflicts of the other two branches. And what comes out of there and what you do with it is the very definition of legitimacy. Yep. One more from Jonathan Turley on the Democrats' uh, arguments. And I'd like to start with the issue of bribery. Uh, The statement has been made, not just by these witnesses, but Chairman Schiff and others, that this is a clear case of bribery. It's not. And Chairman Schiff said that it might not fit today's definition of bribery, but it would fit the definition back in the 18th century. Now, putting aside Mr. Schiff's turn towards originalism, I I think that it might come as a relief to him and his supporters that his career will be a short one, Uh, that there is not an originalist uh, future in that argument. Uh, the bribery theory being put forward uh, is as flawed in the 18th century as it is in this century. Yes, it is. Uh, the, the Democrats have real problems here with how they're going to proceed. Uh, the largest issue, though, being that the voters in this country 
are not only divided, but uh, there's a growing sentiment among independent voters that they should just deal with this at the election. Now, you should know independent voters overwhelmingly are opposed to the president in polling right now in the election, but they are willing to deal with this at the ballot box. They got lots of problems uh, with this. Well, we're, we're going to get a newsmaker on the line here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Congressman Jody Heiss is going to join me to talk about this issue and the other issues of the day in Congress and how these wonderful members of Congress are so distracted they're not actually doing anything. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia right now, from the North Georgia mountains to the Florida line, from the Chattahoochee to the Atlantic Ocean. You can hear my voice across, for better or worse, I'm in all parts of the state now. And we've got joining me by phone this morning from Washington, D.C., Congressman Jody Heiss. How are you? Doing great, Eric. Good to talk with you. You And glad your voice is heard Throughout the whole state, uh, you know. So we we've well, I I, I we're on a on a soft launch in a, in a large talk station now. I'll, I'll have to text you privately what what's happened. Um, I'll be announcing that soon. But yep, we're we're all over the state now. Now also all over the state this morning. All the buzz about Nancy Pelosi uh, wanting to file articles of impeachment. I got to tell you, Congressman, I I suffered through that hearing yesterday, and I have a hard time seeing where they go with this. Uh, yeah, the 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 sink is uh, the uh, ship is sinking. There's no question. And yet here, you know what what amazed me was the arrogance with which she come came out saying that this whole thing is uncontested. I mean, Eric, that is just an outright lie. This has been contested from the very beginning. I mean, we've been fighting every issue. There has uh, there has not been any evidence that the Democrats have brought forth, and for them to say that. Uh, the the guilt of the president is uncontested is just um, uh, laughable if it, if you didn't think that they were serious about it. Uh, it is contested. There there has been no evidence of quid pro quo or uh, any of the other uh, bribery, extortion, obstruction, any of the things they're bringing forth. Uh, the only place where those type of accusations have come from have been from their cherry picked witnesses who most of them have been second, third, fourth-hand information. Well, it, it, not just the third, fourth-hand information. We, we we know several of the people who have testified have access to grind against the president and, and have had since before he was even sworn into office wanting to plot impeachment. And we've got still got this curious, unexplained situation of the Schiff team coordinating with the whistleblower. And now we know if, if current media reports are true, uh, that an associate of, of the alleged whistleblower was hired by Schiff the day after his team met with the whistleblower. Just it seems like this they've been coordinating this for a while. Well, they have, and like you said, from even before the president was inaugurated, they were uh, talking about we need to impeach this this uh, individual. And you know, I mean, it's it's come down to the fact that they do not accept the uh, duly elected president by 63 million Americans. They don't like it. They don't like his commitment to drain the swamp. They don't like the fact that he's doing what he said that they, that he would do. And they're, from the very beginning, they said they were going to try to impeach him. And, uh, you know, all these other uh, attempts, be it the Russian collusion uh, investigation down to the Ukraine investigation, it's been a perpetual attempt from the Democrats to go from one haystack after another in hopes of finding a needle somewhere that they can then come up and say, look, 
this is why we need to impeach the president. But they have been trying to pursue this since day one uh, from when when he was elected. Well, and there's there's the other side issue here that Jonathan Turley raised yesterday that uh, the polling has been moving against the Democrats, not towards the Democrats, the longer this has gone on. And uh, the Democrats, it looks like now they're going to open a full fishing expedition and get off just Ukraine and go go into every aspect they can possibly find. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly uh, what I'm saying. They're looking for every haystack they can, hoping that somewhere there's going to be a needle that they can come up and say, aha, look what we found. And this is just not the way we do things in America. Uh, And and it's dangerous. It is shameful to me, uh, both, Eric, what the Democrats are doing and the fear of the precedent that they are establishing. I mean, even even the fact that they subpoenaed uh, phone records from Giuliani. I mean, are we now going down a path that that anyone can just – they can just subpoena phone records of anyone? I mean – uh, and there you're talking the the attorney of the president. There's some executive privilege there, I would certainly think, as well as some uh, client privilege. Right. That uh, I mean, you talk about abuse of power. Uh, the real abuse of power here is coming from a Democratic Party who is so entrenched with hatred with the president that they are doing unprecedented acts. And even, you know, I was for... Now, the first two months of this thing, part of the oversight committee in the dungeon, so to speak, in the basement with the shift hearings. Uh, and, Eric, I can tell you, you've never seen anything more unfair, uh, more rigged than what those hearings were, what those depositions were. We were not allowed to depose anyone. We were not allowed to subpoena. Uh, even some of our questions were not allowed to be asked. We were not allowed to talk to media about it. Uh, but they lined up all their witnesses. The The president was not allowed to defend himself. This whole thing has been rigged from the get-go. And you talk about an abuse of power. It has been 100 percent, in my opinion, coming from the Democratic Party. It, it seems we this entire impeachment process has been driven by mythology. Uh, first, it was that the president collaborated with the Russians and then Mueller exposed that, no, he actually hadn't collaborated with the Russians. So then they went to a quid pro quo, which didn't work for the American people. So now it's bribery. But the underlying myth of it all is that the Russians stole the election and he's an illegitimate president. And so we've got to get rid of the illegitimate president who was helped by Vladimir Putin, despite there being no evidence of that case. And it just it seems like they've they they've booed God at the Democratic Convention and now they've created their own mythology to replace him. Uh, that's a that's a great analogy, and I, and I think it's uh, very much accurate. And fortunately, we're going to have the Pfizer report coming out on Monday from uh, IG uh, Horowitz, and I think what we're going to find there is even the the Russian collusion whole thing, the the dossier. I mean, we we know that Hillary Clinton and the DNC was involved in putting that together, and and financing it, put putting together a false. A document from which they they got a, a FISA warrant to spy on the president and other members of his campaign. It's just unthinkable what's taking place, the abuse, the way this thing has been rigged. And yet still, even with all that advantage, with them putting forth the dossier, with them putting forth an entire rigged impeachment inquiry, they have found zero evidence of any wrongdoing of the president. It's all... Uh, in fact, you need look no further than the transcript itself. Uh, 
Now, no quid pro quo, no pressure. No, I mean, it's just insane, and yet they're continuing to push for impeachment. And while they're pushing for impeachment, uh, the entire legislative agenda in the House has gone off the rails, including dealing with farmer issues here in Georgia, the the uh, revisions to NAFTA that people are trying to get through. There seems like the House is incapable of multitasking. Hey, great point, Eric. Listen, it is utterly, absolutely shameful what the Democrats are doing in this impeachment thing, but it is equally shameful what they are not doing, and that is legislating. I mean, we have USMCA. uh, We've got funding our military, for crying out loud, funding our government. These things are – the the clock is ticking. These things are running out, and there is not even discussion about funding our military uh, right now. It is all – all the oxygen in the room is being taken out over the impeachment issue and the neglect of doing what the American people sent us here to do is absolutely stunning. The, the Democrats are not, not even – our national security is at risk the longer we go and not funding our military, and yet they're not even discussing about passing the NDAA uh, at this point, uh, nor the government, nor USMCA, nor lowering drug prices, nor the farmers. I mean, we have a whole list of issues that the Democrats are absolutely being negligent about uh, simply because of their obsession with impeaching the president. Well, and I'm deeply concerned that we're going to get to the end of the year with with one of these continuing resolutions, and they're suddenly going to create a crisis by having refused to do their job and uh, try to rush through another spending package that blows the budget that no one's had time to to look at. And and you, Chip Roy, Mark Meadows, and a few others are going to say, wait a second, we, we need to actually look and see what we're spending money on, and then they're going to blow you up and make you the bad guy yet again for them not doing their job. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we as a Freedom Caucus are going to be meeting about that very issue again uh, this afternoon. But you're exactly right. Uh, The the lack of uh, being responsible with our with our budget, with our finances, with the taxpayers, the hardworking Americans and the willingness. I mean, you can see this coming the week before Christmas. They're going to come out with an absurd uh, omnibus bill. Uh, and everyone's going to want to be going home for Christmas, and yet they're going to tie our hands here and say, until you vote for this, we're not going to go home. That's the way That's the way this place works. It's that type of thing that makes the American people sick and disgusted with Washington, D.C., and I am grateful, as you mentioned, that Chip Roy and Mark Meadows, a host of others in the Freedom Caucus, and some others are joining together to say we've got to put a stop to this, and, and we've got to get responsible uh, spending. Uh, it's going to, you know, we just passed uh, $23 trillion, yeah. and I don't think I heard a word about it up here. Not no. even mentioned. It, 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 it's awful uh, and it, awful to see. I, look, I appreciate you and the Freedom Caucus actually making making a stand on this, and I get tired of getting angry text messages in the middle of the night from Chip Roy over the national debt. <laughs> Chip Roy is a dear friend. Uh, listen, uh, you're not the only one. To, to, to give you a little comfort, you're not the only one who receives those messages. Well, well and, and I'm t- his, his wife tells me she makes him come to the rest of us because she's tired of hearing about it, too. <laughs> listen, hey, Congressman, I, I, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, you you and your family. Uh, I know you've had some ups and downs this year with, with the family, and I just I appreciate you so much and appreciate your friendship and appreciate you willing to stop by and spend some time this morning. Oh, 
always happy to, Eric, and to you and your dear family as well. I know y'all have had some issues, but God bless you, and uh, we're just so grateful for you, for your uh, powerful voice, your influential voice. We appreciate it so much. Thank you very much. Congressman Jody Heiss uh, from here in Georgia, uh, great, great guy, good friend. Um, I love that guy, uh, his willingness to stand up and, and pick a fight. And, you know, he, he makes a valuable point here on, on the debt and the deficit that it is a bipartisan issue. The Senate Republicans right now are dealing with the continuing resolution. They're going to get it to the House of Representatives. And in getting it to the House of Representatives, they're going to have to rely on Democratic votes to get the continuing resolution passed. And it's going to continue to explode the national debt uh, to absurd proportions. And the Democrats are going to pass that to keep the government open. And I do have to wonder at this moment, Pelosi is doing articles of impeachment. Uh, What does the president, does the president shut down the government? I mean, you know, they're not doing anything else. They're not passing the USMCA. They're not passing uh, any of the other stuff that there's bipartisan consensus on because they're focused on impeachment. They're not funding the wall. They're not doing anything. What, by the way, whatever happened to the concentration camps at the border? I, you know, if the Democrats were really convinced there were concentration camps at the border, what? Why aren't? Why isn't that an impeachment? I mean, it seems to me they made a big stink about that during the middle of the year, but they're not. There are no articles of impeachment. They're contemplating on on concentration camps at the border. I mean, was they they fired up the Democratic base with that, and they were lying? They're not that concerned with it. They're not doing these other things. I wonder if the president shuts down the government again at the end of the year. He might as well shut down the government. What does he have to lose at this point with shutting down the government? What what does he have to lose? And, and um, he knows at this point he's not going to the the Senate is not going to convict him. There's going to be a huge distraction. The Senate's not going to convict him. And polling suggests independent voters are frustrated with what's happening in the House of Representatives with the Democrats. This is going to be a very interesting Christmas political season in Washington, D.C. When we come back, I want to play a little more from the impeachment hearings. There's an actual funny grievance coming from Democrats about what Jerry Nadler did yesterday in the House of Representatives with the Judiciary Committee. One of the humorous things to come out of the Democrats hearing yesterday where they had the academics who were... Uh, the, the academics who bored everyone to death with their arguments, I, I do have to say, uh, although Republicans kind of ridiculed them, they, the lady in particular who was somewhat nuts, she still actually did a pretty good job, uh, making a case, uh, for the Democrats, even though she clearly had Trump derangement syndrome. This is the woman who couldn't walk across the street and made the terrible joke about, uh, Baron Trump, but they haven't been able to convince anyone. This is the joke she made about Baron Trump. It's just a lame joke. It wasn't an attack on Baron Trump, but you know, the Democrats say you're not allowed to bring up the president's kids, or at least when Barack Obama was president, you can't bring up a politician's kids. They're attacking Jeb Bush for pointing out that Elizabeth Warren's son went private schools. Here's, here's the professor on Baron Trump. Article 2 does not give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. 
Ah, ha, 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 ha. It was so funny. Well, Melania Trump wasn't very happy about this. Mr. Chairman, what purpose does the gentleman seek recognition? Seeking Amnesty's consent to enter into a record a, um, a tweet that the First Lady of the United States just issued within the hour that says, quote, a minor child deserves privacy and should be kept out of politics. Pamela Carlin, you should be ashamed of your very angry and obviously biased public. Yeah, <laughs> she did, by the way, apologize for um, trying to drag Barron Trump into the impeachment proceedings. But so you you had these these four people. They're one Republican witness, Jonathan Turley, who, by the way, isn't a, isn't a fan of the president. Uh, but then you had the three Democratic academics. Uh, one of our listeners uh, from, oh, was it coming? Um, Jasper, somewhere up there, uh, text, emailed yesterday and said that that one guy from Harvard looked like he had just flown in on a broomstick from Hogwarts. Uh, that, that gives you a sense of these people who were on the stage. Well, Al Green, Al Green is a uh, black Democratic representative who is very angry with Jerry Nadler yesterday. Why? Well, Mr. Speaker, I rise because I love my country, but I also rise today with heartfelt regrets. It hurts my heart, Mr. Speaker, to see the Judiciary Committee hearing experts on the topic of impeachment, one of the seminal issues of this Congress. Hearing experts, Mr. Speaker, and not one person of color among the experts. What subliminal message are we sending to the world when we have experts but not one person of color. Are we saying that there are no people of color who are experts on this topic of impeachment? What is the message that we're sending? Mr. Speaker, if I am wrong, I will apologize. But if the committee is wrong, if the Congress is wrong, what will it do? Mr. Speaker, people of color for too long have been ignored by one party and taken for granted by the other. Too often this happens. Not always, but too often it happens. Mr. Speaker, I refuse to be ignored and taken for granted. I came here to represent the people who are ignored and taken for granted. Not one person of color among the constitutional scholars. Not one person of color among the constitutional scholars. And what do they get out of it? A bunch of bad press. I mean, this is a discussion from uh, this is from MSNBC. The question of impeachment, uh, I think, is pretty set. And what's interesting, I thought about Professor Turley's argument. And he remember, he was called by Republicans. The, Mm -hmm. The other three were called by Democrats was not that. President Trump should not be impeached. He was talking again about the process, that he still had more to prove. And maybe he should be impeached, but we're not there yet, is what he said. Uh, I I just want to say, though, this is about, we're about where we were during the Clinton impeachment. Yeah. Um, And if you take the Republicans' argument that Democrats have been, uh, you know, moving towards impeachment from the time he got elected, I mean, we're three years in. So... Uh, and here's Peter think? Baker saying, Charlie keeps saying this would be a record fast impeachment, but it really depends on how you count it. In the Clinton case, the House voted to impeach him 72 days after it authorized an inquiry. Mm-hmm. It's been 71 days since Pelosi opened the inquiry. Of course, Trump, the Republicans, argue Democrats have been pursuing impeachment since the day Trump was inaugurated. In that sense, we're 1,048 days in. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, listen, Joe and I are friends, but I I gotta point out to him that the Republicans had a special prosecutor. Well, actually, the Janet Reno had a special prosecutor look into Clinton, and he did a very thorough report and sent that to Congress. And it was 72 days after that report that they began the impeachment process uh, and they still conducted further hearings. And that's not the case here. They've they've trying to do an investigation and everything else within 71 days. That is rushing it. Jonathan Swan also, I think uh, he was on um, Fox News from Jonathan Swan from Axios, the best accent of any reporter in Washington. Nothing can happen that is outside of new material facts that are damaging, that go well beyond what is there at the moment. Today's hearing meant nothing. There were no new fact witnesses. There was no new evidence that moved the ball. Republicans could pirouette and show off their knowledge of parliamentary procedure and rules to stymie the Democrats. You had three Democrat witnesses say that uh, President Trump behavior was egregious, clearly impeachable, uh, you know, met the definition of bribery. You had a Republican witness who said that it would set a dangerous precedent and, and that it wouldn't. And here we are at the end of the day. I agree with both of my colleagues here. We, we haven't uh, changed anything. Haven't changed anything. Nothing. Nothing's changed. Uh, they haven't heard from John Bolton. They haven't heard from Mick Mulvaney. They haven't heard from Russ Vogt. They haven't heard from any of these people, and they're going to rush forward. I can tell you. So this is going to go to the Senate, and the Senate's going to say, I'm sorry, folks. There's no there there. When we come back, Kelly Leffler is being attacked already. I was reminded again over the weekend how ingenious Quip's design is. I'm talking about the electric toothbrush. Uh, It vibrates every 30 seconds. It pulses. So, you know, to change it around in your mouth, you get a very even brushing. Listen, I've been using the Quip for ah, three years now, maybe. I'm on my second one, actually. I accidentally broke my first one. Uh, My fault, not their fault. Uh, In any event, they sent me a new one. And uh, over the weekend, I, I guess I left it running or... I don't know. The battery died. I'm assuming it just kept getting turned on in my bag as I was traveling. And but man, you just you slide the top of it off and it's just a single AAA battery. And and the battery lasts for months and you get a new brush head every three months. And with it, they send you a new AAA battery. And if you're a responsible person, unlike me, your battery lasts and you don't have to worry about it. But it's it's such a great design. And every time I go to the dentist and the orthodontist, I think I'm bleaching my teeth, which I'm not doing. I'm just getting a really good, even brushing of my teeth with my Quip electric toothbrush. You can too. And every three months, you can get a new brush head for just five bucks. You even get your first one for free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now, you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free. It's a great deal. Quip is great. You can leave it as a stocking stuffer even for someone else. And you get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Erickson. Quip, the good habits company. Get into a good habit of brushing your teeth. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Now, uh, full disclosure, I know that there were folks who wanted to call in yesterday. We we had uh, issues with being able to get phone calls in yesterday. We're we're taking care of today. People who wanted to weigh in on Kelly Leffler, not Loeffler. I've been saying Loeffler, it's Leffler. Kelly Leffler, if you want to call in and and state your opinion on Brian Kemp's pick, 
uh, for the U.S. Senate, you are more than happy to do so. At the bottom of the hour, uh, Chris Burns is going to join me from Dynamic Money to talk about uh, Christmas spending, debt, worry, all that sort of stuff. There's a study out that a majority of a majority of Americans are only just now paying off debts incurred from last year's Christmas purchases, which is just amazing. Um, so I wanted to talk about him, talk about that with him, among other things. But uh, you should know that the Senate Majority Pack, which is the Democrats. Uh, opposition research firm. It is the in-house opposition research attack organ of the Senate Democrats in Washington, D.C. They have begun to level their first attack on Kelly Leffler. They are. Uh, I want to play this ad for you, and then we can laugh about it together. It really is kind of pathetic. Uh, it, it was even Democrats last night were saying, oh, I guess Kemp made a good pick if this is the best we're going to do. Uh, here it is. Who Governor is Kelly Brian Kemp has chosen Kelly Loeffler as his appointment to the U.S. Senate. Her appointment could face some backlash, though. It is a controversy being played out across social media. Some conservative critics are taking to Twitter. They don't like it. I think Kemp is locked and loaded into Loeffler as being his pick. And said, listen, prepare for some friction, but I'm going with Loeffler. Here are some of her perceived weaknesses. She has never held political office. Wait, stop, stop. She's never held political office. That's a weakness. That's that's one of the weaknesses the Democrats want to highlight. She's never held political office. Meaning voters have never actually said, this is our person. Yeah, there's a lot of money behind this choice yes. here. Well, if giving lots of money to Republican causes makes you qualified to become Georgia's next U.S. Senator, then businesswoman Kelly Loeffler may be almost overqualified. The Federal Election Commission site shows donations from Kelly Loeffler to mostly Republican causes, totaling more than $600,000 since just the start of last year. Which means, as a politician, Loeffler may have the means to finance a statewide election. If you can kickstart your own campaign by putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, then um, you're one step ahead. I don't think it's an ideological thing. <laughs> I think it's they look at it as a business transaction. So now there's text at the end of the ad. There's text. Who is Kelly Leffler? Mega donor, unknown record, Illinois transplant. So so this is the attack on, on the senator designate from Georgia that she's given money to Republican causes. <gasps> Get her. She doesn't have a record. Oh, no, she's not a professional politician. And wait for it. Wait. She moved to Georgia. Like a million other Georgians, Kelly Leffler moved to This is the best they've got. <laughs> Hi, we're going to attack you because you loved a state so much you moved to it. You can't be that state senator because you're from Illinois. You don't want to send a Yankee to the Senate, do you, Georgia? I bet she says eggs like my, my mother. So my mother-in-law is from southern Illinois, and she's legs and eggs, not eggs, eggs. It's a it's an Illinois thing. I'm, if I ever, ever interview Kelly Leffler, I'm going to have to say, what is the white orb that comes from the backside of a chicken called? <laughs> If she says eggs, well, no, you're a Yankee transplant. <laughs> 
like my mother my my kids give my mother-in-law from illinois the hardest time with legs and eggs <laughs> and it's her whole family it's not her pronunciation it's they're from el dorado illinois which is southern illinois kelly leffler's from northern illinois Oh, man, <laughs> she could say egg. See, if she says egg, suddenly eh, your, your Illinois transplant doesn't matter. She's been here long enough to speak the language. My mother-in-law has been here for 50 some odd years, and she still says egg. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, th- so this is this is their attack. Uh, this this is their attack on Kelly Leffler that she's not a politician. But she's given money to Republican causes. Also, you should know they, there's a separate attack that she has um, moved into a mansion in Buckhead in Atlanta. Now, for those of you outside of Atlanta, I'm, I'm broadcasting from Atlanta today, actually. Uh, I've got an event with Governor Kemp this evening, a, a charitable event I'm doing with uh, the governor and first lady. And so I'm up in Atlanta, and Buckhead is the ritzy part of Atlanta. Uh, as, as my buddy Neil Bortz used to say on the radio, uh, Butthead Atlanta, uh, Buckhead. There now, there's a Buckhead Georgia where you can you can actually hear me in Buckhead Georgia on WGAU out of Athens. Uh, that's a beautiful rural part of the state I love. And Buckhead Atlanta tried to get uh, Buckhead Georgia's zip code, and Buckhead Georgia refused to to hand over their name and zip code to the area of North Atlanta known as Butthead. Um, so Kelly Leffler lives in a mansion on West Paces Ferry, which is the same road the governor's mansion is on. And the house she lives in, it's 15,000 square feet. Personally, when I'm rich enough to build a house and I'm a billionaire, I'm going to have a house bigger than that. I'm actually kind of surprised she lives in a house that small for the amount of money she makes. <laughs> It's a it's a fifth. Listen, it's Arthur Blank's former house. I thought Arthur still lived there. I was going to go roll it uh, after the Falcons beat the Saints, but I'm glad I didn't because it turns out he doesn't live there anymore. I mean, no offense to Falcons fans. I'm from Louisiana. I'm I'm required to root for the Saints when they play anybody. Uh, But so she lives in Arthur Blank's house. I wish so now that I I'm I'm hoping to meet this lady and and maybe become friends with her. I wish she would buy Arthur's house in Hilton Head because we stay in Sea Pines in Hilton Head and Arthur's got a beautiful house in Sea Pines. It's this very nice brick house on a on a big section of land right off the golf course, uh, right on the beach. It's gorgeous, and I didn't know it was his house, but apparently it's Arthur's house in Hilton Head, and I, I want to live in that house. And if she just like give me the garage apartment. In that house, I would be happy. She needs to buy it, though, from Arthur. Or Arthur, I mean, if Arthur's listening, somebody knows Arthur, tell Arthur. I just want to live in, like, the side yard of that house in Hilton Head. Uh, I'll, I'll pitch tent. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to. But it, it, the idea that, oh, my goodness, she li- she's a billionaire and lives in a nice—do you know David Perdue? He's the now soon-to-be senior senator from Georgia. He lives in Sea Island. You know, in Sea Island, I, I'd never been to Sea Island until, gosh, and, and and now you can actually hear me on the radio down down there. Um, I used to uh, hear about cottages at Sea Island. My wife worked for a guy who had a cottage at Sea Island. Now, I don't know about you people, and I use that term endearingly, you people, but when I hear the word cottage, I think quaint little tiny place with thatched roof. 
cottage at Sea Island means uh, stucco and and red Spanish tiled mansion. I mean, we're we're talking ten thousand square foot houses, and those are cottages. Only rich people would build a a five, six, seven thousand square foot house and call it a cottage. But you got the cottages in, in Sea Island, and and David Purdue. And listen, God bless him. I love David Purdue, and and he's a successful businessman. If he wants to live in a cottage at Sea Island, that that's several thousand square feet, let him. I don't care. It's his right. God bless him for being successful. Why are the Democrats attacking people for being successful? Kelly Leffler is a successful businesswoman in her own right who then married a successful man. They've had a successful marriage now for 15 years, and they live in a giant house that's not as giant as as my future house is going to be. And so what about it? We're going to start attacking people based on the size of their house? And again, this is the major attack from the Democrats today. She's a mega donor for the GOP. Okay, so uh, so she's not allowed to give money to causes she supports. She has an unknown record. She's not a professional politician. So she's not a professional politician, uh, and that's supposed to be bad. I, I thought that's what we wanted these days. And then their last attack is that she's from Illinois. She's from Illinois. Now, this is remarkable. It is remarkable because you should want people to move to Georgia. And you should want to ensure that people who come to Georgia are willing to make a name for themselves in Georgia, willing to be involved in the state of Georgia, willing to engage in the state of Georgia, willing to be involved politically in the state of Georgia. To attack someone because they've moved to the state of Georgia, it seems to be rather silly. And that's the attack the Senate Democrats are making on Kelly Leffler. That, that's their entire attack on her, it, which suggests now that Governor Kemp has actually made a brilliant pick. Now, for those of you who are perturbed by this, and, I, and I, there are a number of people in the conservative grassroots who actually are upset with Governor Kemp for making this pick. Uh, they wanted Doug Collins. I, I got to tell you, uh, had Doug Collins been the pick – we would not have had this gem of a statement from Doug Collins yesterday in the House of Representatives. But you know, what I also see here is quotes like this. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties or imposed by another. Such an impeachment will produce divisiveness, bitterness, and politics for years to come and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions. The American people are watching. They will not forget. You have the votes, you may have the muscle, but you do not have the legitimacy of a national consensus or of a constitutional imperative. The partisan coup d'etat will go down in infamy in the history of the nation. How about this one? I think the key point is that the Republicans are still running a railroad job with no attempt at fair procedure. And today, when the Democrats offered amendments, offered motions in committee to say we should first discuss and adopt standards so that we know we're dealing with, standards for impeachment that was voted down or ruled out of order, 
When we say the important thing is to start looking at the question before we simply have a vote with no inquiry first, that was voted down and ruled out of order. So frankly, the whole question of what material should be released and what is secondary, but that's all we discussed. The essential question, and here it is, which is to set up a fair process as to whether the country put this country through an impeachment proceeding. That was ruled out of order. The Republicans refused to let us discuss it. Those are all Chairman Nadler before he was chairman. Doug Collins throwing Jerry Nadler's words in his face, uh, which set the stage for the impeachment hearing yesterday in the House Judiciary Committee. That wouldn't have happened if Doug Collins were being moved over to the Senate. And I understand people wanted Doug Collins in the Senate. I think Doug Collins would be a brilliant United States senator. He, he really would. Uh, Collins would be awesome in the Senate. But it wasn't to be. And I honestly think God puts us in places for a reason. And Doug Collins being in the Judiciary Committee, uh, that's where he needs to be right now. And we wouldn't have had that gym yesterday had he moved. Uh, maybe one day he can move to the Senate. Listen, I think the world of Doug Collins. Uh, I have gotten to know him over the last couple of years. Really, really like the guy. Uh, really would have loved for him to be in the Senate. Uh, he was not my choice to be in the Senate if the governor was picking someone because I, I think the governor bringing in an, an outsider who's not already in politics um, makes a good way to shake up the game. Kelly Leffler wasn't my choice. Uh, but it was the governor's choice, and it is at this point what it is, and she is the senator designated. And the question is, does she go to Washington and prove herself and show that she's a conservative? And and you know, to some degree, the 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 process here, we get two bites of the apple. She's going to be on the ballot in twenty twenty, and she's going to be in twenty twenty two. So she's going to have to maintain her conservative credentials uh, for the next year, and then two more years. Uh, and if not, we'll be able to to challenge her. But if she is the conservative, she says he is, everybody will be happy and we'll move on from this. And the governor will have gotten someone who the Democrats are attacking uh, for having the audacity to move to Georgia, to move to Georgia. As long as she can say eggs and not eggs, I think we'll be OK. Have you seen the white rape vans from Facebook? I mean, they're, they're not like Zuckerberg's not running rape vans, mind you. There's no Facebook logoed white vans out like kidnapping your wives and daughters and having their way. No, no, no. But apparently on Facebook, uh, there is a there's this this rumor that that it went viral because of the Facebook algorithm that white vans are circulating, you know, those white 15 passenger vans, they're circulating neighborhoods and uh, grabbing girls and women in parking lots and off the street and and smuggling them away for human trafficking and, and uh, raping them and all sorts of stuff. It's not true. And, you know, OK, so I got to say uh, I had a friend of mine ask me last week if I had heard about this and I just assumed it was a news story. And he was he was very serious with me that in a in a more than one location in the United States, uh, people driving white vans. It appears to be organized MS thirteen, you know, or or MSG, whatever the 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 Mexican gang, not not the the Asian food gang. I guess that would be the MSG gang. This is the MS thirteen gang. Uh, they are apparently behind these white vans and they're sending people into human trafficking and all that. Well, I mean, he was serious. It's like I'm thinking, man, was this on on the news? What was this no cnn is running a story about this today terrifying rumors initially propelled by facebook's algorithms have sparked fears that men driving white vans are kidnapping women all across the united states for sex trafficking and to sell their body parts 
Well, there is a short supply on those leg lamps from the the Christmas movie thing. <laughs> so I guess they need new legs. While there's no evidence to suggest this is happening, much less on a national coordinated scale, a series of viral Facebook posts created a domino effect that led to the mayor of a major American city issuing a warning based on the rumors. The latest online-induced panic shows how viral Facebook posts can stoke paranoia and make people believe that spotting something as common as a white van can be deemed suspicious. Don't park near a white van. Oh, of course it was the Baltimore mayor who said this. Of course the Baltimore mayor. Let's not worry about gang violence in Baltimore or the police killing people. No, no, no. Let's worry about the imaginary white van. (laughs) There's no hard evidence of any phenomenon happening in Baltimore. Unconformed reports of suspicious white vans in Baltimore and other cities across the U.S. have been shared hundreds of thousands of times on Facebook. Y'all... Listen, if it's on the Internet, it must be true. I think that's people's motto these days. Uh, and if you see it on Facebook, this reminds me of my wife telling me, uh, you know, there's 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 a gang initiation. My wife has a Harley. There's a gang initiation now where they, they try to they kill people on motorcycles. This is I'm like, Christy, where'd you hear this? And it's read a friend of her shared it on Facebook. I'm, and I don't I'm, I don't want to pick on my wife and her motorcycle friends and but I y'all the the amount of things that are circulating on Facebook now uh, as if they're true really odds are if it's on Facebook particularly can, can I be really frank with you if your mom's sharing it on Facebook the odds are probably not true um and <laughs> just the number of people who are sharing these stories is crazy and it's escalating uh, it, it, and there are these viral stories. What was the other one? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, so this goes back to, you know, the 1980s and, and the razor blades and the candy. Um, and that was before Facebook. That was even before email. But the razor blades and people's candy and, you know, that, that you know, the, the crazy people who were handing out the, the caramel apples and the caramel was poisoned. First of all, I don't know who the hell has ever handed out a caramel apple for, for Halloween. No kid is going to a house that's getting caramel apples. We've actually got people in our neighborhood who hand out the little, what is it, the the Jack, what's his name, tracks on how Halloween is is of the devil and kids who celebrate Halloween are going to hell. We've got those people, but even they don't hand out the caramel apples. The only people I know of who would hand out a caramel apple would be a dentist who wants your business. Um, but you got the, the razor blades and the candy, and then you've got the poison candy, and this year it was the gang. It's always the gang initiations, too. The gang initiation was to kill the white kids who are dressed up in, in different costumes for Halloween. That came the week before the gang initiation to kill the motorcyclists. Uh, I, I'm just not willing to go down the rabbit hole of viral Facebook posts, but some people are. So I'm just telling you, if there's a white van in your neighborhood, the odds are they're not trying to kidnap your wife or your daughter to sell them into human trafficking and, and sell them for parts. The odds are it is the CIA kill van looking for Jeffrey Epstein's killers. That's really what the white vans are for is the CIA. They're they're snooping on you and the white van's there. You got to worry about the CIA, not the human traffickers when you see the white van come through or could just be movers or someone with a large family. I never have people in studio with me because I'm always in my bunker studio in Macon and there's no room. I would actually, I'm, I may find Jimmy Hoffa eventually when I clean out the office because 
I don't think the last time I cleaned my office, it was this summer, and I'm, I'm passive-aggressive about cleaning my office because I go out of town after I've cleaned my office, and everybody puts all their junk in my office, and so I don't do it. So I, I'm in Atlanta. I got a charity event with the governor and, and first lady this afternoon, and so I asked Chris Burns to call in, and he decided to come by the studio. So I actually, I'm it, like surrounded with people, which I never am. Well, it's fantastic, and I loved you talking about your mother, uh, or we, I guess we were comparing mothers during the break, and the idea of like razor blades and candy, because yeah. every house Halloween for me was all of my candy being checked for yeah. various weaponry hidden inside of Hershey's chocolate. And you mentioned the hypodermic. I totally had forgotten about the hypodermic needles. That one we had with my grandmother. Yeah, yeah we could not go to a movie theater without my mom. She was sure that people were shove, you know, mm-hmm. stuffing the hypodermic needles into the seats and that we were all going to get AIDS. Yep, so it was, totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the 80s and 90s. Yes, that was. And that was before Facebook viral stuff. Oh, yeah. And that, that was, was when just, you had the chain letters in the mail and the, and the party lines. At that point, it was just Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> that was true. That's true. A, that it's true. Yes, it, it is. You know, my grandmother, and this is not why Chris is here to talk, but my grandmother, I, I, I y'all, this is a true story. My family can, can attest to this that my grandmother would watch Oprah, but before Oprah would come on, The Young and the Restless would come on, and she and her best friend Sybil Woodside would watch it together in separate houses on the phone together, talking about it, and inevitably Victor Newman from The Young and the Restless would wind up on the church prayer list. So it's basically what we did with Game of Thrones. Yeah, pretty much. Where yes. we would just sit on the cell phone, yeah, and, totally. and text each other and, and talk. Yes, they they would do that with Young and the Restless, and then but they would put Victor Newman on the prayer list as the opposed prayer. to yes, Jon Snow never made it on my church prayer list. <laughs> I prayed for him every day, man. It was a big deal for me. All right, so I, the reason I, had, I wanted to have Chris come in uh, from Dynamic Money, you can go to dynamicmoney.com. Uh, Chris actually uh, is my wife's and my financial advisor. By the way, our, our home refi, I've been paying off my credit cards with your advice fantastic yeah, zero balances on all my credit cards now thanks to you so now you're going to go by the big screen you've always been talking hey, listen about. i now apparently have a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> between credit cards that i can go like buy something with that's perfect yeah tesla maybe that's, exa- <laughs> that's what we advise every client to yes, do totally get the credit card debt paid <laughs> and then go everything up. you've dreamed of it's now yes. it's free money Free money. So there's a story in the Wall Street Journal last week, uh, right before Thanksgiving, that a majority, and they said it was a majority of Americans, um, have just now or are just in the process of paying off debts from Christmas presents from last Christmas. Sure. That's crazy to me. Yeah. In fact, so this is the most dangerous time of your most wonderful time of year, nostalgia, all that great stuff, but definitely the most dangerous time of year. About half of holiday shopping is done already. It's done by about December 3rd. And for the record, I hate those people because I haven't even started. (laughs) Well, we won't talk about that. Anyway, but the other half is people like me and you that we think it's a great concept to have laid out a budget and say, this is how much I'm going to spend. But then three days before Christmas, we are going crazy buying all these presents. And and if you're that kind of person, what happens is you just want to create this ideal holiday for the kids, but then you spend way more than you ever planned on spending. And suddenly January rolls around and your Amex bill is insane. And not to add insult to injury here, but right now we're sitting on the highest interest rates ever on credit cards. So the key to making sure that you don't wind up all year paying off credit card debt that you incurred this month is deciding right now how much you're going to spend. 
And a lot of people have that that is very difficult for folks because they go, you know, they don't want to think about it. They just want to enjoy the holidays, et cetera. You will enjoy the holidays so much more if you've put some sort of boundaries or guidelines around how much you're spending. First of all, I, I do need to clarify for the listening audience. It's really cute that Chris thinks I actually set a budget for Christmas. <laughs> what is a budget? <laughs> I mean, Congress doesn't even do a budget anymore. Why should I? I would never look at Congress as an example <laughs> for how to plan any sort of spending. Uh, no, I would almost call it an anti-budget. So if you're a person who thinks budgeting is a four-letter word, which I do too, the first budget I ever got um, when I was first married, this CPA gave me a budget template that I knew from our church, and it literally had a line item for toothpaste. And it was that detailed because so, he was tracking, I spend $8 a year on toothpaste, and so this is how much every month. And at that point, I decided I hate budgets, right? But if you approach it from the other side, I would call it like almost an anti-budget concept, is saying, all right, what is our primary desire this season? Mm-hmm. And then you can use this for the whole year as well. But for Christmas specifically, what is our primary desire? Okay, how much is that going to cost, all right? And you work backwards from that. And then you're able to say, well, maybe we won't get this 15th gift for our second cousin or whatever it is because we don't have the money for it because our primary desire is, and you've already defined that. So start with what it is that you're passionate about, that you know you want this season. And that could be giving. It could be the gifts you give to your family. It could also be charitable, charitable giving. It could be alcohol for some <laughs> some of us in studio. It depends on what we're talking about. Um, but once you define that, then suddenly you're motivated because budgets are terrible. Right, it's it is awful to sit and look at the numbers and go, oh, we don't have enough to do what we want, et cetera. So flip it and go, okay, well, what is the most important thing to us? And now we're actually excited about that, and that helps us define what to cut out. Does that make that, that, that does, does that make work sense. for you for yeah. someone that hates budgeting? Yeah, it, it does. I I, I got to take care of my wife and my kids, and inevitably, of course, my wife is. Oh, you don't have to get me anything for Christmas. And yeah, that's a dangerous yeah, trap. Yes, it, it totally is. In fact, every time I hear it, wait, I got my sound effect here. We need to play it. It's a trap, Admiral Ackbar. It's a trap. Yes, that's my. I, I, I tweeted about that. that's my dad giving my mom a gym membership one year for oh, Christmas. You, yeah, you've told me this, which story. was a rough. But yeah, well, I learned a Don't lot. Don't give her the Peloton bike either. I learned, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, but I see a lot of people that it's like in the, and I, I mean, the worst experience I have with this, and I actually shared this, I think, on this show when I was guest hosting for you, the worst thing I had in this was when we got so excited as a young married couple about giving gifts, and then literally we spent so much money because we weren't tracking it that the day after Christmas, we had to ask my parents for the gifts we'd given them back so we could go return them because we were, we had gone over on our bank account. And so for me, I mean, and and I'll tell that story just to, first of all, people listening can go, uh, it can't get much worse than that. Right. But secondly, just that when you define how much you're going to spend and what your priorities are, then suddenly it's like you have freedom. You have freedom within that. And then there is nothing better. The best gift to give yourself is walking into the new year without this incredible burden of this debt that you now have hanging over you about a gift that might not have been that important. I mean, how many people give gifts, feel like obligated to give gifts to every single person in their life? when that could put them in a financial hole. That's just not a healthy way to view the Christmas season. Yeah, and, and I, 
yeah, I, I feel guilty sometimes. The the people I know, I, I want to get something for particular people, and am I going to bust my budget? To am I going to bankrupt myself making someone else happy for Christmas? You'd and, have to buy less alcohol. That's uh, true. Which yes, is, I mean that's a pain. I, I have a great bourbon collection. You know this. <laughs> I know. Yes, I do know I, this. Part of my credit card bills that I paid off. <laughs> that's exactly right. But I but I think it's. That's the other thing you can do is have honest conversations. How, how often has this happened where everyone in the family feels like they need to give gifts to everybody else, but the family keeps growing? So now you have like 18 yeah. nephews and nieces. And if you would just have an honest conversation, then everybody would have a huge sigh of relief because no one wants to go out and spend insane amounts of money just because of obligation. But because we don't talk about it, because it feels awkward to mention it, we end up spending way more than we would than than honestly healthy for our budgets. So have those conversations, and I promise you January is going to feel a lot better. Yeah, We we finally, in my wife's family, there are so many grandkids. We've we've finally done the draw names, and one grandkid gets a present for one other grandkid. Oh, yeah. That, That's the way that to actually go. works. And you put a spending limit on it, mm-hmm. and the kids all love it, and it's it's a blast. And you, I don't know, when we had that turning point, which we did the same thing with my my brother and his family, when we had that turning point, it was such a relief to me to not feel like I had my list of 28 different people that had to get a gift because, honestly, the whole point of Christmas, I mean, in, in my mind is if I have those extra dollars— Maybe we can pay down debt now. We can walk into New Year feeling good. Maybe we have more to give to things that we actually all care about, like nonprofits or charities this time of year. Who cares about them? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to have a soul, Eric. Yeah, that's well, the, see, this is the problem. The, I was a lawyer. They, they, they take it in law school. They don't give it back to you. That's exactly right. But that's, I think, and, and honestly, one of the things I've done that has been neat is when you bring your kids into this conversation which most people, again, don't do. Now, I'm not talking about your four-year-old. You're telling me I need to do this with my kids. And yeah, I mean— I, I guess I need to do it with myself first. Well, yeah, it's always good to start with, you know, my name is Eric, and I'm an alcoholic, and then, you know— that I whole, spend too much money. I spend too much—yeah, no. But my my four-year-old doesn't need to talk about this, because Santa's mm-hmm. coming, right? Right. Um, but I have two teenagers, and so to sit down with them and go, hey, look, this is our budget. This is how much we're spending, right? And then to actually include them in it and go— is there anything that's really that you guys are passionate about in their case or two boys? I'm amazed by their heart for giving. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually willing to say, you know, what? I, I don't need this big gift or maybe we can cut back on what we're spending um, for each other so that we can give to this thing that we all care about. And the other thing I found when you do that is you become far more creative because when you put limits around spending, then suddenly it activates your mind. It's like instead of just going and swiping the card to make everybody happy, now you have to actually think and get creative. And sometimes the best gifts come from that. So do your kids do Christmas lists for you to decide from your older kids? Yeah, they actually make their own Amazon lists now. Like they'll get on Amazon, they'll make a wish list that we have access to. It's become a very like efficient, uh, you know. In, See, I, I got <laughs> mine from my them. kids sometime around Labor Day, and they've added to them since. Which <laughs> and is, you haven't bought any of the gifts. I haven't yet. bought any of the gifts yet. In fact, it just dawned on me while we're talking that my son's birthday is on Monday. I gotta get on Amazon and buy him something for his birthday. Yeah, thank goodness I'm a for terrible Prime. parents. Those terrible billionaires that created yes. the system that can I know. send you we, gifts within two days. For same free. day delivery. Thank God for that. He wants a gaming chair for. He wants a an actual chair to sit in front of an Xbox. Like the beanbag isn't good enough. It's the chairs that actually like vibrate when you hit things. And yeah, stuff. And it's got a Bluetooth like speaker in it. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. I get. 
get it. Apparently, all of his friends have them. And if his friends have them, he has to have he, them he's too. Have one. My son, it's the new AirPods. He's uh, like see, really I, listen, into the I'm new totally AirPods. down with your, your son. I've, I've been making the pitch for him too. I think they're good. I had them on last night. The yeah. noise canceling is fantastic. I didn't hear the housekeeper knocking on the door of the hotel room and she walked in on me. Which is perfect. Yes, That's totally. exactly what you want. I yes. don't know what to even yeah. say about that. Listen, All right. Hey, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. But I do think, I mean, honestly, if, if you can maybe even use different language, but it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, here we are sitting, what is it, the fifth today? Mm-hmm. Um, you got 20 days. Take a deep breath. Pause. Bring in the people that actually matter. If you're married, if you have a spouse, or your kids, whatever. And have an honest conversation about this and stop trying to create this experience. The nostalgia runs so heavy at Christmas that we want to create this perfect experience. But then it leads to exactly what you said that article talked about, which is a year of regret. Yeah. That's not what you want to walk out of the holidays with. So talk about these things honestly. Set what is our primary desire and then work backwards from there and actually enjoy the holiday. Regret and, and a lot of depression at this time of the year for a lot of people as well because of finances and worrying about the nostalgia and the perfect presence for people. Totally. I mean, I think there's all sorts of, besides the fact that there's so many people listening right now that are dealing with, maybe they lost a loved one this year, went through a divorce. Maybe, you know, there's, there's lots of reason that we have pain in the holidays, but finances is a huge piece of that. And I meet with so many people. And again, often the reason that it's such a pain is because they have expectations that they feel like to create the Christmas that we quote-unquote need, I have to do this. Instead of going, you know, Christmas truly, without being sappy, Christmas really is about going, hey, you know, how can time with family, community together, celebrating, you know, in our case, celebrating that there is hope in this this time of year, celebrating that Jesus came. All these things that we say matter so much, but then we just kill ourselves trying to get the best possible gift so that the tree looks great on Christmas morning. And I've fallen victim to that so many times. And yet, when we've had intentional conversations with family, with friends, with our kids, it's taken the pressure off. And man, then you can actually, here's a crazy thought, enjoy the holiday. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're supposed to enjoy the holiday this time of year. I mean, it's possible. All right. It so, uh, last important question, because because I know neither of them are listening. What are you getting your wife for Christmas? I need ideas. <laughs> Man, we actually talked about this a few days ago, and because I am the same person, where I'm like, don't get me anything. I don't uh-huh. care. Like, just you know, whatever. I buy myself everything I want. <laughs> Alcohol. And whatever it is. Yeah. No. Um, toaster oven. Actually, I got a digital toaster oven. Yeah, I, I I wish that I was not this. I'm the ADD person. I've been thinking about what is that what is that gift because again we we are at the place where in general if we like I used to get socks and underwear from my dad for Christmas mm-hmm. right we were that kind of family yeah. where it was like your Christmas stocking was full of all the things you you needed your toothpaste etc. Yeah. Um, but honestly, trying to think outside the box and I've I'm leaning more towards experiences now. So instead of giving you know I don't know what that certainly not a Peloton whatever the perfect material object is maybe giving concert tickets to a concert that she loves or that we're going to go away for a weekend or something like that. Like Those are the things that I've found are the most meaningful and that the fact that I put the time into it means a lot more to her than that I just went and swiped the card and bought something expensive. So again, that lends itself to this boundaries thing because mm-hmm. when you sit and say this is the amount of money we're going to spend, then they know you had to get creative. It's actually brownie points for all you husbands out there because it's like instead of just 
oh my word, it's three days, I'm going to go buy jewelry. You actually thought about it in advance and you look like you, you know, you've been intentional, which is what I think most people are really desiring from gifts. I was really hoping you wouldn't basically tell me I've got to think for Christmas for what I'm going to get people. You were going to make it easy, but nope, nope. Yeah, I, what are you? What are you getting? I didn't ask. You, you I, asked I, me I first. Don't, I don't know. Christy suggested she wanted a gun. I, I don't know that I want to buy my wife another gun for Christmas, but I, I suspect what I'm going to wind up doing is on the experience side, taking her somewhere. Her and the kids. They want to go back to the Grand Canyon or something this summer, so I'll do something like that. But then that means I have to get with you and start a savings plan and budget. Yeah, that's no problem. We can handle that. But that's the, I mean, I really do believe that experiences, when, when we go in that direction and we say, um, I really thought through this, you know, I've already looked at, here's where we're going to go and here's when we're going to go and it fits the schedule and the calendar. I don't know about folks listening, that, how, they, how they perceive this, but I certainly know in my family, when I take the time to look that intentionally, just for my wife, it's like you actually spent quality, intentional time thinking about this. This wasn't just a, you sprinted through, went to the jewelry shop and swiped the card. And that means way more, no matter what it is, because I thought about it. And for her, that's gold. So I, I you know, I, I, again, it's not, we say this all the time, it's not how much you spend. It really isn't how much you spend. It's really the amount of intentionality you give in the first place. Chris Burns, thanks very much for stopping by. Hey man, it's good to be here. Absolutely. Uh, thanks to Chris Burns for stopping by. He will be filling in for me while I am on Christmas break. Uh, I'll be doing a, a Christmas and, and Christmas Eve show. I don't make other people work those days. Uh, I, I actually record my Christmas Christmas Eve show. I'm very particular about all the Christmas music I play and stuff and get it done. But um, he'll otherwise be around while I'm on break. If you want to go to his website, he actually is Christy uh, and my financial advisor. Um, I use him in part because he's a friend, but also he's fee-based. He's not commission-based. So when he tells you advice, he gives you advice. He's not making money off of you with a commission. Um, uh, But you can go to dynamicmoney.com and and, uh, get more information from him and his his team. If you need help budgeting, even uh, teaching your kids good financial skills, because Lord knows they don't teach that in school anymore. Uh, they can get that for you. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, remember he came down to Georgia and did the fancy thing. He was going to do it at the Falcons facility facility in Flowery Branch and then wound up going to a school. And a bunch of the NFL teams, several dozen of them, were at the Falcons facility. He changed at the last minute and only seven of the teams wound up relocating to Riverdale, Georgia to check him out from the 20-some-odd teams that were there originally. Well, he hasn't gotten a job. Uh, This is from the Washington Post, though. The defining moment of Colin Kaepernick's long-awaited, hotly debated workout last month was a deep ball down the left sideline that sailed through the Georgia sky and landed 50 yards away in the hands of a little-known wide receiver named Jordan Vesey. The home run ball spread on TV and social media, amassing millions of views. Supporters of Kaepernick pointed to it as evidence the quarterback still had it, while critics noted the bare-bones facilities and lack of defense. In the end, the workout didn't immediately change Kaepernick's job status. But uh, Vizis has changed. Uh, Vizis said he believes the Kaepernick situation, including the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback's fight against racial injustice, had an impact that goes beyond football. But he also knows that were it not for that workout, the Washington Redskins might not have signed him to the practice squad. (laughs) It helped. There you have it. Um, 
the Cleveland Browns threw, uh, flew VZ in nine days later, but he left without a firm contract. Uh, then everything went quiet, and then the Redskins called. So Kaepernick has not gotten a job out of that. But the guy who was helping him, the wide receiver who was helping him, uh, has now gotten a job with the Washington Redskins. Don't. <laughs> wow. Poor old Kaepernick. Yo, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I realize he's become a, a cause for a number of people out there. But when you organize an event like this at the Falcons facil- training facility, you fly everyone in and 30 minutes beforehand, announce that instead of going there, you're going to a high school uh, football facility and you're going to bring in a live stream so people can watch it on social media and you brought the reporters in but you aren't bringing in the teams it highly suggests that you're not really serious you're just trying to be a spectacle and make yourself the story and there are a lot of people who aren't going to treat that seriously and they did not uh, which is what we expect. All right, we got to shift gears when we come back at the top of the hour. I do want to spend a little, uh, a, a bit of a moment on the idea of forgiveness. And there's the Cabela story uh, with Tucker Carlson that has blown up online. And Cabela's and and Bass Pro Shop are actually pushing back hard, but it still raises a question on uh, capitalism right now in this country. I was reminded again over the weekend how ingenious Quip's design is. I'm talking about the electric toothbrush. Uh, It vibrates every 30 seconds. It pulses. So, you know, to change it around in your mouth, you get a very even brushing. Listen, I've been using the Quip for three years now, maybe. I'm on my second one, actually. I accidentally broke my first one. Uh, My fault, not their fault. Uh, In any event, they sent me a new one. And uh, over the weekend, I, I guess I left it running or... I don't know. The battery died. I'm assuming it just kept getting turned on in my bag as I was traveling. And But man, you just you slide the top of it off and it's just a single AAA battery. And, and the battery lasts for months and you get a new brush head every three months. And with it, they send you a new AAA battery. And if you're a responsible person, unlike me, your battery lasts and you don't have to worry about it. But it, it's such a great design. And every time I go to the dentist and the orthodontist, I think I'm bleaching my teeth, which I'm not doing. I'm just getting a really good, even brushing of my teeth with my Quip Electric Toothbrush. You can, too. And every three months, you can get a new brush head for just five bucks. You even get your first one for free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now, you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free. It's a great deal. Quip is great. You can leave it as a stocking stuffer even for someone else. And you get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Erickson. Quip, the good habits company. Get into a good habit of brushing your teeth. It is Eric Erickson here at the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. North, south, east, west, middle, we're, we're covering it all now. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I am actually not in the home studio today where I normally am. I'm in Atlanta. Uh, I will be doing a charity event with Governor Mrs. Kemp uh, later this evening uh, with Clark Howard from uh, WSP Radio, where I do my evening show every year, raises money uh, to get presents for all the kids in foster care in Georgia. There are a lot of kids in foster care uh, in Georgia who are not going to have Christmas presents unless you step up uh, and help. And you can reach out to your local county DFACS office and uh, get uh, help them if you can. 
they're trying to buy presents for kids. They can get you in touch with the right people statewide. Um, also, I got an email from someone. I, I totally forgot to send out my recipe yesterday. I, I will get it done here in the next hour. Uh, it, it was a busy day. I got stuck in traffic trying to get to Atlanta to a meeting uh, from Macon. Uh, I, I, if you'll allow, I, I want to shift out of politics for a minute, and I realize there's political stuff happening, but this is something I really want to uh, talk about right now, and I've been meaning to talk about it. And for the holiday seasons, every year I try to incorporate some relevant topics for the Christmas season or for the Easter season or whenever as as allow uh, as you'll allow and, and permit me to do and not be mad at me for for getting away from frankly I'm kind of tired of talking about politics and impeachment it's going nowhere nobody's changing their mind I, I don't see the point uh, but uh, we'll get there I, I want to talk about though one of the issues that comes up in the holiday season, I have talked about depression and remembering people who might be depressed this time of year. And there's something else I want to talk about at this point, and it is forgiveness um, because there is a lot of, there are a lot of people who at this time of year have a real hard time letting go slights that have happened in the past. Uh, there are actually a lot of times that people – they can't forgive themselves for things they've done in the past. And Christmas is – Chris Burns was here in the last hour from Dynamic Money, and he was talking about how nostalgia at Christmas kind of overwhelms us. I, I think for a lot of people, and not every everyone, I actually am friends with a person who does not have a single good Christmas memory and, in fact, has been through a world of hurt – in life, uh, going to some degree to what Chris was talking about, trying to create the perfect Christmas, uh, he made some terrible decisions in life at one point, trying to create the perfect Christmas, because growing up, uh, his he had a drug addict father and an alcoholic mother who ultimately divorced, uh, but every Christmas was brutal. And he himself was in and out of the foster system and living with with family, and uh, he just he he never had a good child life, and, and never had a good Christmas memory as a kid. And, and it's just, man, I've I've heard these things uh, from him, and and having to forgive, and then later in life trying to recreate or or create because it's not a recreation for him; it's a creation of the perfect Hallmark Christmas for his family and messing up and making some terrible mistakes along the way and indebting his family, driving them almost to the point of bankruptcy and having to be helped out by friends and forgiving himself, forgiving the people in the past who just screwed up his childhood and then forgiving himself for feeling like he was going down that road unintentionally by trying to create the perfect holiday for for him and his family. It's just it, it was a sad situation, and he he and his whole family they're, they're in a fantastic situation at this point. Uh, a wonderfully generous family, uh, successful now, and and having to put aside a lot of the demons that he was raised with, and a lot of that having to do with forgiving people. You know, in the Christmas story. 
we focus this time of year on the manger in Bethlehem and and the infant holy, infant lowly. And and I think I've mentioned before, I had a seminary professor who refuses to allow Away in the Manger to be sung in his church uh, because he's big into Christology. And, you know, Away in the Manger, no sound does he make. He's like, he, he's a baby. Uh, Jesus Christ was a, a fully God, but fully human. And a baby would cry if he was in a manger with a bunch of animals around him. And, and so there's bad Christology in the way of the manger. You can't sing it. It's heresy. It's just, it, he's very, very, very passionate about Christology. And we focus on the manger and we focus on Mary and we focus on Joseph and the, the little drummer boy who that's the last thing you needed. You've just pushed a child out of your womb. You're recovering in a dirty manger and in comes a little boy wanting to bang on a drum when you try to sleep. Yes, that's the Christmas carol we want. Da-da-da-da, <laughs> da-da-da-da. Yes. Um... But we focus on that. But, you know, I, I'm also mindful of the fact that uh, the, the story has a beginning. It, it has a, a climax, uh, and oftentimes we forget about the climax. But this little baby born in a manger whose family had to flee to Egypt would grow up. And, I mean, historically, whether you believe he rose again from the dead, historically we know this guy existed. We know what happened to him. The, the Romans documented it. You don't have to go into the Bible to find out what happened to this guy, Jesus. He was nailed to a cross. He was tortured, uh, savagely beaten. I, I really don't recommend Passion of the Christ if, if you got a weak stomach. Uh, it kind of shows what he went through. Uh, but just terribly beaten, whipped tortured, uh, a crown of thorns placed on his head to cut into his scalp, uh, forced to carry a cross uh, that they would then nail him to, not just tying to like they did most people. They nailed him to it uh, and then raised it. And so he could feel the weight of his body then drooping into the nails that were piercing his flesh, uh, knowing he was going to die. And some of his last words According to Luke, were father into your hands, I commit my spirit. But before they did that, he said, forgive them, father. They know not what they do. I mean, that's in, in Luke chapter 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And we today in 21st century, and, and by the way, uh, you can say, well, well, that's God. Yeah, but, you know, in our relationship with God, there's forgiveness, but there's also repentance. And here are Jesus, who was also fully man on the cross, and his relationship to the other men around him just says, forgive them. And if you need a further reflection of that, Stephen, who is the first martyr of Christianity, Stephen, the disciple of Christ who was stoned to death, as Paul watched, um, also his last words were, Father, forgive them. And what we do in our society today is we tend to say, I'm going to accept your apology and I'm going to forgive you. But in order to forgive you, you've got to do all of these conditions. Uh, Like, remember Kathy Griffiths, the comedian who she held up the the rubber head of Donald Trump that made to look like a severed head and uh, 
people were outraged by it. I was outraged by it, and she realized she had way overstepped, and it was going to cost her a portion of her career, and she came out and apologized. And people came out and said, you know, you know what? You're only apologizing because it's going to cost you being on CNN with Anderson Cooper. I'm going to apologize, too. I'm going to accept your apology, but you've got to make a donation to Donald Trump's campaign. People actually said that. If she wasn't willing to make a donation to Donald Trump to show she was sorry, then she wasn't really sorry, and therefore I'm not going to accept her apology. You, you know, can you imagine Jesus on, on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But before that, God, make sure they understand what they did. And if they don't actually come up to me and say, I'm sorry, before I breathe my last breath, hellfire for them. He didn't do that. And in, this is a, a man on the cross. Yes, divine, but also fully man. And this man on the cross is is forgiving the people, which gives us a sense of, of Jesus, the one person who walked the planet, didn't have sin. And if we can set aside our sinfulness, our reaction to other people should be even those who are angry with us or or they've done something wrong to us is, is to just forgive. No strings attached, forgiveness. You, you know, if you don't forgive someone, including yourself, and that's where I'm headed with this, with yourself, uh, you you led that person lord over you. If you're not willing to forgive someone, and at this holiday season, we oftentimes uh, think about the people in our lives who they've ruined Christmas for us or something has happened this year as we get to the end of the year and we start to reflect on the year and it still makes us mad. My wife, God bless my wife, I love my wife, my wife still gets uh, red-faced and angry about things that happened to her in elementary school. And she's not alone, and, and no disrespect intended to the women in the audience, but y'all all know it's true. Women hold on to grudges far more than most men. Men will punch each other and then go grab a beer. Women will, 30 years later, be willing to not pee on someone if they are on fire. <laughs> you know it's true. I'm not being insulting. You just know it's true. Uh, the, the, the ability of a woman to hold on to a grudge is one of the most impressive things in all eternity. Uh, my wife in particular, my goodness. And I, I say all the time, you just you got to take Elsa's advice and let it go, which just drives her crazy. And then she's mad at me for the rest of her for quoting Elsa. But you see where I'm going with this. If you're not willing to forgive, you don't have to forget. I encourage you to forget. Forgiveness leads oftentimes to forgetfulness. Uh, but you just you let it go, and you, that person's not lording over you. That person has the ability to raise your blood pressure when you aren't willing to forgive. And more often than not in this day and age, the person you've got to forgive is yourself. And people have a hard time at this time of year forgiving themselves. You overspend on the family at Christmas, and then you're kicking yourself the rest of the year as you're paying the credit card bill. You can't forgive yourself, and then guess what? You get to the next Christmas, and you're in the cycle again. Rinse, repeat, start it all over again. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Same almost echo of that with uh, with. Stephen in Acts, where Stephen is being, I mean, the man's being stoned to death, which is just insane. Uh, and they're stoning him, and he says to forgive them. Uh, he cries out to God and says, God, forgive them. And we kind of need that, too. We, we need that level of forgiveness. We need that. I mean, Stephen says his last words before he dies, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
a a level of forgiveness from people who are being killed, innocent people who are being killed. Now, I preached a sermon on this one time. You, you know, I, I've been in seminary and occasionally get asked to preach, and I preached on on this. If if I was asked to pick one passage of Scripture and it's the only thing I could ever talk about again, uh, it would be that from Luke, Jesus on the cross. It would not be the resurrection. Everybody knows the resurrection. It would be, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I was I was talking about this one time. I was preaching about it. And a woman came up to me afterwards who had had abuse in her life from a relative. And she got my point, but she said, I, I'm, I don't know that I can. And I looked at her and I said what a, a professor had one time told me, said, what happened, was what happened to you worse than what happened to Jesus? And she she thought about it and she said, well, well, maybe it was. He he died and conquered death and I've had to live with the abuse of a, a, a father abusing her as a child. And I said, well, you know, on that cross, everybody's sin was piled up on top of him. The, the sky went dark. Martin Luther said that uh, the greatest sinner who ever lived was on that cross that day because the sins of all humanity, the, the abuse that all of us have been inflicted by sinners, uh, all of that was on him. And so it wasn't just these people wrongly killing an innocent man, torturing and beating him. It was the feeling the weight of all the sins of the world piled on top of him as well. And she thought about it and she said, well, I, I, I guess not. And, and I said, well, then if, if you can't forgive, it doesn't mean don't seek justice and it doesn't mean uh, you, you, you can't, you got to forget it. But it does mean you gotta, you've got to work some forgiveness in there if you can. And, and maybe you can't. But if you can't, what you're saying is that what happened to you is worse than what happened to him. And have, have your, has your conscience been so thoroughly pricked by someone that you can't forgive? Uh, is what happened to you so much worse than what happened to this man who was wrongly accused, tortured, beaten, nailed to a cross with a crown of thorns shoved on his head, uh, suffered, died, stabbed with a spear after death. Um, is what happened is what happened to you, this thing that you're holding on to this Christmas season, uh, some some event that makes you mad, some person you can't forgive, is what they did to you worse than what we did to him? And if it is, okay. But I doubt... Whatever it is, no matter how bad it is, was worse than that. And so you got to forgive. If he can forgive, you can forgive. And oftentimes at this holiday season, again, you got to be willing and able to forgive yourself for whatever you've done this year, last year, in your lifetime. You can forgive other people, and oftentimes the hardest person to forgive for anything is yourself, and you still got to make the effort to forgive yourself and free yourself from the shackles of guilt this holiday season, and I hope you will. Only among the progressive class of American citizens is this a bad thing, but they're upset about this report from the Wall Street Journal that has come out. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. A report says the United States total tax rate is the lowest among major economies except for Ireland, Chile, and Mexico. 
President Trump's 2017 tax cuts reduced the U.S. tax burden to one of the lowest among major world economies, according to a Thursday report by an intergovernmental organization. U.S. tax burdens dropped by the largest amount among those countries in 2018, and the U.S. now has lower taxes than all but three countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, the OECD. Driven by the federal tax cut that Congress and Mr. Trump enacted at the end of 2017, U.S. taxes are at at all levels of government fell to 24.3% of gross domestic product in 2018, down from 26.8% a year earlier and 25.9% in 2016. That's two percentage point, that 2.5 percentage point drop was only the fourth time since 1995 that any country's tax burden has declined by at least that much in one year outside of the financial crisis, according to the OECD. The steepness of the decline stemmed partly from an increase in 2017, where a one-time tax from the 2017 law was counted as revenue that year. Measured as a share of the U.S. economy, taxes are now 10 percentage points below the 2018 OECD average of 34.3%. Among 34 countries with preliminary 2018 data, the U.S. tax burden is lower than everywhere except Chile, uh, Ireland, and Mexico, The tax cut drove U.S. taxes below Turkey's, and taxes in France and Denmark are now twice as high as they are in the United States, which is a a pretty big deal. Um, The the 2018 data uh, is the culmination of two decades of tax cutting that started with George W. Bush in 2001 and 2003. Some of those expired in 2012, and... Uh, Congress raised taxes on high-income households uh, through some changes through Obamacare and whatnot. The Republicans reduced all that now. I mean, you've got uh, Turkey, Switzerland, Lithuania, Latvia, Israel, New Zealand, Canada, the U.K., Czech Republic, Netherlands. They're they're all higher. France has the highest. France, Denmark, Belgium, Sweden, Finland, Austria, Italy, Luxembourg, Norway. They're the highest in the Netherlands, which is amazing. In fact, uh, France is almost at 50%. Meanwhile, in the U.K., they're circulating a video of people in the U.K. uh, asked about health care costs in America. They're all horrified to find out how much it would cost to have a child in the United States if you did not have health insurance. And we should discuss that because it's deeply relevant to this tax issue when we come back. And the Cabela report that Tucker Carlson did is being pushed back on. One small deviation from from this UK propaganda video I mentioned, Uh, Chris Pratt, the actor who has been spending a lot of time in Georgia, uh, a a whole bunch of time in Georgia, Uh, been seen around uh, Lake Oconee fishing a lot lately. Um, He is under fire for doing an Instagram picture uh, promoting Amazon where he had the audacity to have a water bottle in his hand. That's right, a, a, a plastic water bottle, a single-use plastic water bottle. And uh, he's under fire from Jason Mateau or whoever the, the actor is from Game of Thrones, Aquaman, and now the C uh, show on Apple TV+, Plus uh, for using single-use water bottle. And uh, how dare he use that? And, and, and so Pratt didn't come out and apologize, say, oh, I'm sorry, I should have used a reusable. No, no, you shouldn't apologize for that. Y'all, I'm sorry. I I realize that that rich white people get upset by those of us who go to the store and buy a a case of of water. 
but single-use plastic water bottles are a good. They are a good. Uh, they they have social utility. They have value. They bring benefit to people who need bottled water. And we should not be discouraging their use. It's like I, white people, rich white people, progressives have nothing better to do with their time than to tell the rest of us how to live. And in fact, uh, it was interacting with a, a lady on social media who who I said, I, I think that these water bottles are awesome. They, they get people good water. Uh, oftentimes people live in communities that have bad water. Uh, look at Flint, Michigan. Are we going to tell those people, oh, you can't have bottled water because the, the plastic's bad for the environment? And this lady replied to me. She says, actually, they need to be banned globally because they are immensely useful and convenient, so much so that no one finds themselves incapable of not using them despite the massive collective costs. Some things are like that, like taxes to fund society. Coercion is required. Really? Because some people don't know how to properly dispose of plastic water bottles. All of us have to give up our plastic water bottles. That's actually very silly. It is a very, very silly way to look at the world. And, you know, the problem with so much of the world is that, for example, plastic recycling, we don't do a lot of the recycling here. We got in the habit of sending it off to China. And a lot of those terrible plastic islands you you see uh, pictures of the, the horror of the bottles floating in the ocean fell overboard on their way to China. Or we get got to sent them to China and the Chinese didn't actually recycle them as they said they would. They just threw them in a dump somewhere. Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't really care. And if that makes me a terrible person to you, okay. But I got a whole refrigerator full of water bottles from my local Publix of spring water. Now, here's the thing. I got to tell you, a lot of bottled water is a scam because it's tap water from New York City. And you just you put it in a plastic bottle. No, get the spring water. The spring water tends to actually come from other places like actual aquifers and springs and is not the purified tap water, uh, and it doesn't pick up the taste of the plastic bottle like some of the purified water. I don't understand the people who go out and say, I'm just going to get me Dasani because it's uh, it's Coca-Cola-approved purified tap water that someone turned on a faucet and filled these bottles. No, I actually want the the... Kenwood Springs from Louisiana or, or the uh, artisan aquifer water. I, I, I just go get the generic public spring water, not the purified the spring water. I got a case down the hall in my office, as a matter of fact, uh, because I'm not going to run back and forth to the water fountain. I'd like to keep a, wa- a bottle of water with me. They tell me I'm supposed to drink eight, eight, what, eight gallons, no, eight glasses of water a day. And I'm going to run to the – and quite frankly, I don't care what the people in Atlanta tell me, but the tap water in Atlanta doesn't taste right. And, you know, this is the thing about Macon. So I live in Macon, and we get these these little notices all the time that, oh, the tap water in Macon won an award. And I'm thinking, who did you bribe to give you this award? Because I can taste the chlorine in your tap water. I live in a fairly new development with fairly new pipes. And I don't want to drink the tap water and make it. I, 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 if I do, it's got to be filtered. I don't understand this. So I grew up in Dubai, and we had gross tap water because the tap water in Dubai was essentially uh, they had uh, aluminum smelting plants. 
and steam would be generated and they would distill uh, the they would distill the steam into water and that's where they got a lot of their tap water or from desalination and it was gross everybody drank bottled water and then in rural Louisiana where I'm actually from there were so many freshwater springs bubbling up out of the ground that's where it came from it was fantastic the best tap water on the planet it, it's uh naturally really cold and it doesn't taste like chlorine it comes up out of the ground it's pure and of course, they, they add the chlorine to kill any of the bacteria in it, but it's, you don't taste it. It's just good good tap water. I tell my wife all the time, if I could build a pipeline from my parents' house in Louisiana to our house in Macon, I'd actually drink the tap water because it wouldn't taste like chlorine and whatever else is in there. But Macon, somehow or another, keeps bragging about winning national awards for the— First of all, can, can we—and I realize I was not even going to talk about this till I saw this Chris Pratt story— who the heck gives awards for tap water taste? Who does that? Hmm. Because, you know, pure water is supposed to taste like what? Nothing. You're not supposed to. Water's not supposed to have a taste. And so you're tasting tap water to find out which one tastes the best. Uh, in, in, in theory, the best tasting tap water has no taste. And yet in Macon, I can taste the chlorine. So how is Macon winning? Oh, this tastes the closest to nothing you can get in the United States. There, there's a great tagline for, for the Macon, Georgia. Our water tastes as close to nothing as you can get in the United States. <laughs> I don't understand. As opposed to New York City. Hmm. You can only slightly taste the homeless urine in the, in the New York City tap water. I've gone off the rails, haven't I? <laughs> I just the the outrage over plastic bottles of water. I, I I don't want to taste homelessness in my tap water. And because you do in so many places around the country, you get plastic bottles of water. Tell the people in Flint, Michigan that they can't have plastic bottles of water. They gotta drink the lead. It's just it's outrageous to me that this is where rich white liberals have come down on in society is is using the state to coerce you uh, to drink your your lead based tap water. It's like, uh, oh, I no I, I can't because there's profanity. I can't play you the clip. But there was a meeting in Indiana last night of black supporters for Pete Buttigieg. He apparently has a handful of people who support him who are black, and they held a meeting in Indiana last night. Uh, this was, yes, it, uh, African-American leaders of Pete Buttigieg and from South Bend, Indiana. One of his supporters was a councilwoman in South Bend, Indiana, Sharon McBride, and she was supporting Pete Buttigieg, and now, do you want the rich irony of this? Black Lives Matter showed up. Black Lives Matter showed up to protest Pete Buttigieg. Oh, look, there's an old woman who got up with a cane and she's trying to hit the Black Lives Matters activists. Now, here's the punchline. The Black Lives Matters activists stole the microphone from Pete Buttigieg's black supporters. The Black Lives Matters activists were all white. My silence is intentional. There, oh, now I'm, I'm looking at this whole video, and there are a whole bunch of white people at the at the rally to of black leaders who support 
Pete Buttigieg, but no, seriously, I'm making I'm not making this up. Uh, you got black supporters of Pete Buttigieg who are holding a press conference in this room, and the Black Lives Matter supporters storm the room and steal the microphone, and all the Black Lives Matter supporters are white people. White people. There are no black people in the Black Lives Matters crowd. It's all a bunch of white people. And it's the white people stealing the microphone from the black people who support Pete Buttigieg uh, so that the, the white people from Black Lives Matters can denounce Buttigieg. This kind of makes me like Buttigieg a little bit. Um, it's it's interesting. <laughs> Just wow. Wow. Okay. Now I got to get to the the, the story. I, I'm, I'm hopping about. I'm sorry. I'm distracted today. I've got like like ADD when it comes to all the news stories that are trickling into my feed in real time here. Uh, this is from USA Today. Uh, they're mad, the British, I'm sorry, they're mad, the British woman exclaimed at learning the average price to have a baby uninsured in the United States is $30,000. The viral video of British citizens reacting to the costs of various healthcare procedures in the U.S. is now being used by some American politicians. The video, published by the U.K. news site Joe, asks people walking the streets in Britain how much they thought certain healthcare procedures cost in the U.S. if they were uninsured. The U.K. uses the National Health System, a publicly funded, government-run healthcare system paid for through workers' wage taxes. So if you're poor, you're dead, one woman said, hearing how much money an inhaler costs. When asked how much one person thought an ambulance ride would cost, they questioned, is there a price for that? Of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted those saying the U.K. should cherish, protect, and continue investing in their health care system. Bernie Sanders rallied to it as well. Uh, but there are a couple of things that they leave out of this. For example, the United States has uh, a lower tax burden than the EU or the U.K. The U.K. tax burden is slightly less than 40 percent. The U.S. tax burden is slightly more than 20 percent. So our taxes are lower. The U.K. tax burden is much higher. Uh, Poor people in this country have access to Medicaid. Uh, There really aren't a ton of uninsured people in this country. It is a mythology. People do have access to health care in this country. Uh, They do have means of going, for example, if you need an inhaler, going to a a, um, state health departments that you can get vaccines if you're poor in this country, all sorts of things. You would never know this. It's like the British don't actually understand how the American health care system works. And it's clear American politicians also don't understand how the American healthcare system works because you got American politicians flooding the zone with this video as if this video is real, as if these numbers are real. And, and these people believe it's real. It's, it's propaganda against the U.S. healthcare system. Now, certainly there are hospitals in the United States who, who make this worse. I've, I've, Chris Burns, who was here earlier, uh, he and I, uh, know a lady who worked for hospice as a as a cancer care nurse in a hospice and she herself got breast cancer was fired from her job at the hospice because she missed work for chemotherapy she had insurance uh she had time off uh but she was going into her time off because of her chemotherapy and they fired her and and certainly there's outrage at the hospice care facility and the hospitals involved there and, and there should be but that can happen anywhere it's not just in the united states But you have an entire mythology perpetuated by Democrats that somehow everyone in this country, their lives are being ruined because of health care. And now I admit I have good health care insurance. My wife has cancer and she has to take a daily pill to keep her tumors from growing. 
And the cost over the well, it's not over the counter; it's a prescription. But but the cost for her medicine is twenty thousand dollars a month. Twenty thousand dollars a month. The cost, uh, if you after insurance, is sixteen thousand. Or the the right markdown that they sell to insurance is sixteen thousand. Your out of pocket would be twenty. The to the insurance company, they give it for sixteen. Uh, because of our, we have good health care insurance, and because of our good health care insurance, our cost each month is zero. I don't know how the math works works out there, but our cost is zero out of pocket for that medicine. Uh, we couldn't afford it otherwise. I do not make $20,000 a month. I can assure you that. And if I did, it'd 100% go to take care of my wife. But, you know, what happens is for people who we've had this talk with my wife's doctor, he helped invent the medicine. And for people who don't have health care insurance, the drug company winds up giving it to them. They don't actually pay $20,000 a month. Here's the irony here. Uh, if you're on Obamacare, though, if you're on Obamacare, they can't give you the medicine, and Obamacare doesn't pay for it. Yeah, if if you're on a public option in this country right now, and you have my wife's sort of cancer, it's a genetic lung cancer, no cure, but they keep it keep it at bay. If you were, if we had Obamacare, not only could the uh, doctors not give us for free the medicine, but Obamacare would not cover it. That's what's screwed up in this country in healthcare. It's not the fact that if you don't have health care insurance, you may be bankrupt uh, because you go to the hospital for a procedure that you can't afford. The hospital is going to treat you. You're going to get treated, you, and you may go bankrupt. And you go bankrupt, and you got no money? Well, okay. I don't want to sound heartless. I don't want to sound cruel. But if you go bankrupt because you don't have any money and you can't pay your medical bills, then you get discharged from bankruptcy and you don't have to pay the medical bill and you're going to be okay. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of people in this country uh, can, there are state aid programs for people who don't have health insurance. The idea that people are randomly showing up at hospitals and giving birth to kids and being billed $30,000 that they got to pay is, uh, it may happen in isolated cases, but by and large is a mythology created by the left to scare you about health insurance and to uh, make you presume that greedy health care insurance providers are destroying this country and, and ruining people's lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just not true. So much of public policy from the left these days is premised on fear of something like this going to happen to you or, or fear for your neighbors, loathing and contempt of others and, and the rich taking advantage of you. Can we not make public policy in this country uh, without it being based in fear or jealousy? That's probably where we need to get to. I just got to say, it always amazes me how short that break is. It's a good thing I didn't have to go to the restroom. <laughs> if you want, that's another way of saying, if you want to advertise on the show, let us know. Now that we're all across, say, oh, I, I'm, I'm dying to tell you all um, my, my news on this front, but I can't yet. Uh, you'll just have to bear with me. Um, okay. I, there was something else I wanted to talk about, believe it or not, other than why. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. There's a story out. Uh, no. Yeah. No. I'm going to save that for tomorrow because it, it's just going to make you all very, very mad. Uh, and it, it, I don't want to want to make you mad as, as you're headed to lunch or or to some other show. So I'm, I'm just going to have to flag that and do it tomorrow. I'll tell you about it tomorrow. Uh, I will leave you with this news today, though. The State Ethics Commission here in Georgia 
is digging further into Stacey Abrams' campaign finances. And the executive director of the State Ethics Commission says that uh, he is fairly certain they're going to be able to show that she got improper help from outside nonprofits, that they sent money to her campaign or otherwise inappropriately coordinated with her campaign to advance her election. Now, there has been a lot of speculation, even from a number of Democrats, that this was going on. And the State Ethics Commission is issuing some subpoenas. The Abrams campaign tried to fight them and lost the fight. The State Ethics Commission gets to send out the subpoenas. And uh, there's some pretty strong evidence there that there was some coordination going on that should not have happened. The State Ethics Commission is increasingly convinced of it. And, of course, the the Abrams response is, oh, you people, this is a partisan witch hunt. I mean, their, their, their argument, ironically, is very much like what the Republican argument is in impeachment. And the Democrats are telling the Republicans that you've got no grounds to stand on. Uh, meanwhile, the Republican, the, the Democrats are making the exact same argument when it comes to Stacey Abrams. Uh, that's kind of a problem for them, I would think. But the State Ethics Commission is, is increasingly certain there's a there there. And they're digging into it. Subpoenas have been issued, and they want to find out exactly what happened. And I don't blame them for trying to find out. Uh, Meanwhile, in other news, this is not on the state ethics and fundraising front, but on the federal fundraising front, Kelly Leffler is actually going to seed her campaign $20 million. Going to write a check. There was speculation, uh, but... She is probably going to do so. Now, here's the interesting thing. Doug Collins has $1.3 million in his U.S. House campaign. He could potentially uh, transfer, and I don't think that's going to happen. Meanwhile, hang on a second. I, I got a statement from uh, Paul Brown because there were a number of people who were speculating Paul Brown could step forward and run against uh, Kelly Leffler. And he just released a statement last night. Uh, he received the endorsement of the Georgia Republican Assembly uh, to be the appointee to the U.S. Senate. He didn't get it, but his statement is Kelly Leffler will be Georgia's next U.S. senator chosen by Governor Brian Kemp. Whether one agrees with the governor's decision or not, Georgians must give him the benefit of the doubt. We should watch the voting record of Senator Leffler and only then make our assessment. Of course, I'm disappointed that I was not picked, but we must trust our governor as well as the Lord and his sovereignty. On Wednesday, uh, Congressman Brown said, I want to thank the many dear friends who supported me for this position. However, Governor Kemp has chosen to go in a different direction. As Christians, constitutionalists, and conservatives, we are called to pray for our leaders and support our guiding principles first and foremost. We have nearly a year to gauge her conservatism and her adherence to the Constitution. I urge all Georgians, all Republicans, including the others who applied for the Senate seat, to join me in praying for Kelly Leffler as she makes many difficult decisions in the months ahead. Uh Excellent statement on his part, and that calmed down some of the Republicans who were thinking he would be the one to challenge. I am hearing from a number of people now they don't actually expect Doug Collins to challenge Leffler because the Democrats appear more and more likely to rally behind one or two people. And in rallying behind one or two people, they think that they have better odds to get into a runoff at least, although if they get into a runoff, They're going to have a hard time beating the Republicans because Republicans in Georgia tend to turn out way more than Democrats in runoffs. Other than Savannah, where a Democrat beat the Republican mayor, but that Republican mayor, his election was actually a little bit of an anomaly. Um, So 
in any event, uh, Leffler looks like she will not get a Republican challenge right now. Everybody who is thinking about it is walking away.